You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those that? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? <laughs> At last, I, the monarch, have finally captured my hated foe, Dr. Venture. Soon, he shall scream in agony as I introduce him to an oasis of pain the likes of which he has never known. Oh, but sweetie, Van Holes is on. Van Holes? What? You know, the pop culture podcast made for fans by fans. You listen to it all the time with 21. Robot Pokums, Dr. Venture, me, torture, him. Now, Dr. Venture will still be there when fan holes is over. You go spend some time with your henchmen, honey. Oh, very well. But know this, fan holes, you have aroused the monarch's ire. Although your entertainment value is great, if you interrupt me again, you will know the full and fettered rancor of the monarch! Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fanholes Podcast. Tonight, we're having a very special episode for you. Our very own Justin Barber was jonesing to talk about some recent comic books that he'd been reading, so we just decided to turn this episode into a comic book free-for-all. So basically, this is going to be Justin's comic book free-for-all, because he's got lots of comics to talk about. But me and Mike are here as well, so we'll also be talking about some comics that we've been reading that are on our brains as well. And I guess this goes without saying, but... If you haven't read any of this stuff, uh, there will be spoilers, so I, I guess I should give a big list, but before we do that, uh, why don't you guys shout out, and I know I've already kind of spoiled it, spoilers, but tell us who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike Thunderwing. This is the Justin of Earth 2. Yeah. All right, so I guess uh, the big laundry list, if you don't want to be spoiled on any of these titles, the stuff that we're going to be discussing tonight, in no particular order, I guess, because we're just freestyling this. This is not planned or prepped or anything like that, except for the fact that I've, I've read some of the titles that Justin wanted to talk about. Um, let's see, what are we doing? We're doing Sex Criminals. We're doing Velvet. We're talking about um, Lords of Mars. We're talking about... I, uh, Dynamite's new Green Hornet comic book. Uh, over at Marvel Comics, we wanted to chat a little bit about Amazing X-Men. That'll get a little timey-wimey, because I think we chatted about Amazing X-Men briefly on the X-Men show, which is coming up soon to tie into the movie. But you'll be hearing this first, so you get a glimpse into the future of what we think about Amazing X-Men now, as opposed to the podcast you hear a couple months from now. Um, also from Marvel 
Um, I know Mike was jonesing to just kind of talk a little bit about the first issue of Moon Knight. And uh, from myself, uh, I just kind of wanted to talk about some Sterling Gate stuff that I've been reading lately, which is Forever Evil Argus and the Dynamite Captain Victory series. And then along the DC lines, um, I, I kind of I have this weird jonesing to discuss with Justin the sort of the new direction that Earth Two has taken, and more specifically the origins of the new Earth Two Batman, because I, I think that'll be something fun to talk about briefly. So we'll probably just kind of cover you know each of those titles. And, you know, not in any great length or detail, but I think we just kind of want to shoot the shit about them. So, again, if if you haven't read those and you're afeard of spoilers, then, you know, save this podcast until after you've, you know, read some of those issues and stuff like that. But, yeah, so I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, I told Justin tonight that I would be Michael Mooring him with questions, <laughs> questions that I needed answered. And I was totally going to, you know, I'm going to sabotage him and be like, you know, come on, you know, let me, let me bring a camera into your house, Justin. And we'll just, we'll just have a nice little fun chat. And all of a sudden I'll be like, where's the drugs at the docks or whatever, you know, and totally like turn it around. But actually I think to get started, I was kind of jonesing to talk about this, um, and I don't even know if I mentioned it in the list of stuff that we were going to talk about. So again, if you haven't read Afterlife with Archie, there are going to be spoilers. So um, yeah, that was one of the titles that Justin had brought up, which was Afterlife with Archie, and basically what that is, it's pretty damn simple. It's the cast of Archie, and they get stuck in like a Walking Dead type universe where everybody gets turned into zombies, although the way they do it is pretty interesting. Do you want to tell the the setup about how the zombie plague occurs, Justin? Or sure. So basically, um, Jughead's dog, hot dog, is uh, ran over, um, and he's grief stricken, of course. So he goes to Sabrina, the teenage witch, and is like, you know, can you please bring him back to life? And uh, Sabrina and her aunts they work their magic, but it turns out there's no spark of life. So you know. Hot dog is dead, but then Sabrina starts to feel bad, and she gets the Necronomicon, and they bury Hot Dog, and then do their magic and bring him back to life as a zombie dog, and then he bites Jughead, and Jughead bites people at like a dance, and then Jughead that, bites Big Ethel. It's yeah. it's it's shocking and horrible. Um, no, I um, uh, it's it's pretty. I mean, for an Archie book, I mean, I know I know Archie's trying to like do the whole you know get in on whatever the cool trend is that week, whether it's having them hang out with Kiss or joining up and doing a musical with Glee and, you know, all, all those kind of, you know, contemporary things, like anything for them to feel relevant, you know. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but it's true. Like, they, they do kind of want to ride the wave of relevancy, I guess, with their titles. Um, and then this is, you know, another thing right now in the zeitgeist, you know, zombies are mega popular. The Walking Dead's a highly rated TV show and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and then Sabrina gets banished, like, and I was like, oh man, Sabrina got banished and stuff. Cause she, you know, she messed with the dark magic that she wasn't supposed to mess with. And, uh, Hilda and Zelda are like, you, you gotta go live in purgatory now for like, I don't know what it was, like a couple hundred years or something. I don't, basically, she got punished for doing that. And then, um, and then, like, I don't know, it, it, it's got a very real world kind of like, it, it's all super serious vibe to it. Like for me, I don't know, because I, 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 I'm not going to say I grew up with the characters per se. I mean, I, I watched the new Archies and all that kind of stuff, but uh, it's just the, the 
it's weird. Like it's like this wholesome cast of characters, and yeah, Reggie's kind of a scumbucket every once in a while. But in this, it's like he's the one who ran over fucking hot dog and basically yeah. started the zombie apocalypse. So not only is he kind of like you know <laughs> Reggie, like you you started the zombie apocalypse. I mean, <laughs> and nobody of course knows that yet. So I'm just waiting for the moment where like Archie like flips out and starts choking out Reggie or whatever, you know, like, cause it's just like, you're like, dude, man, this is like some heavy, cause like people are dying. Like, I mean, like characters within the universe. So it's like, I'm sorry. I'm just picturing like, like Archie, like stabbing Reggie to death and being like, you did this to us. That, that's, that's what's on that's, you, not me. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm like, uh, I feel like it's going. Cause it's like, they, they, they pretty much treat it fairly seriously like the only two characters that kind of uh step out of it and kind of give you a breather to realize that this is kind of poking fun of the genre i think it's like it's chuck clayton because he's into comics and then is it is it dilton maybe i forget they're 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 like having arguments about like you know horror type stuff and like they go to this costume party and like one of them's dressed up as like freddie and one of them's dressed up as I don't know, something else like Michael Myers or somebody, you know, and it's like, I guess it's like Halloween. So when Jughead shows up and he's, you know, he's been bitten by hot dog and he's this zombie beast or whatever. Everybody's like, oh, great costume, buddy. Like they're not, they're not fleeing in terror, you know, at that point. And and the only person who kind of has any inkling of what's actually going on is Archie because he sees that hot dog was acting kind of weird towards him. And when he went upstairs, he, he noticed like Jughead's like, Oh, I'm sick, you know? And of course, under the covers, you know, Jughead's got this arm that Jug, you know, that, that hot dog bit him with and he's infected with this zombie plague. And, you know, and then it turns into this thing of, you know, then the parents are infected and all this other stuff. And, you know, pe- people, you know, Archie's got to kill his fucking dad, and, you know, I know, spoilers, but, like, you know, it's just, like, some heavy, heavy shit where it's like, dude, Archie just beat his dad to death with a fucking hammer or something, and I was like, come on, this is fucking Riverdale, like, supposed <laughs> to be like, we're the Archie's in a brand new, <laughs> you know, and I was like, holy fuck, um, and then, and then they kind of cribbed this famous scene, well, I'm gonna say they cribbed it from, um, from uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, the famous Alan Moore story. And uh, in that story, if you're not super familiar with it, there's, uh, you know, basically these scenes where, you know, Superman's greatest enemies are attacking the Fortress of Solitude and he's making this last, you know, valiant stand at the Fortress of Solitude. And then one of the, you know, famous villains is the Kryptonite Man. And so he fought him, you know, a Superboy or whatever, but there's this kind of awesome scene where the Kryptonite Man comes in. He's like, you know, basically, you know, come out, come out wherever you are, you know, and he's bashing down the doors and like basically he's going to kill Superman. And so, you know, all of Superman's supporting cast, you know, his most, you know, famous characters, Lois, Jimmy, Lana, you know, all those characters, Perry White, you know, they're all in the fortress with him during this, his last moments. And one of the characters that returns is Crypto. You know, he, he was off in space flying around and everything. And like, if you're a fan of a dog or, you know, if you're a dog lover or a dog owner, you know, or even if you just love Crypto and Superboy and all that other stuff, it's this kind of heartbreaking thing of, you know, 
the kryptonite man's coming in there to kill Superman, and then this dog basically is like, no, fuck you, you're not going to kill my master. And he basically, like, bites out his juggler and, and is kicking the shit out of the kryptonite man, and he's like, no, you stupid dog, don't you get it? I'm killing you, I'm killing you! You know, and then he gets his juggler ripped out, he dies, Crypto howls, and is totally poisoned because he's completely green now and he dies. So it's like this kind of like sad thing, but he did it for the love of his master and all this kind of stuff. And so I don't, I'm not familiar with this dog in the Archie mythos, but apparently they set up pretty well in the book. Even if you're not familiar, Archie has this dog named Vegas and apparently they picked him, you know, when he was a puppy out of the litter and him and Jughead, you know, they, they both played together with the dog. So like Vegas knew hot dog when they were puppies and all this other shit, you know, so they got this intricate kind of history and backstory to it. And then in the scene where, you know, Archie's out looking for, you know, to figure out like, are my parents alive? Like what's going on with this zombie apocalypse and all this other stuff? He basically goes back to Jughead's house and hot dogs there, or maybe he goes back to his house. I can't remember which, but basically like, like hot dog is going to kill Archie basically and, or zombie him up or whatever. And Vegas even has like little thought balloons where he's like, you know, master run. I love you, master. Like I will kill this dog now and let you get the fuck away. Run master run. And basically like, you know, hot dog, like, kills you know his dog and i was just like that's and then and then of course my michael moore thing is wait so you, i was like i because i figured justin was saying he's reading this stuff because he likes it maybe he doesn't i don't know but my my michael moore question for him of the evening was like so you were pissed off about and this is also spoilers for walking dead if you haven't seen the latest episode but like i know you were pissed off about last week's episode the whole you know look at the flowers and the little girl gets capped in the back of the head but I was just wondering, like, how do you compare those two? Because, like, for me, like, I kind of took the Walking Dead thing as, you know, more realistic. So I wasn't – it was a heavy episode. And, you know, you're kind of thinking, like, whoa, like, that's some intense shit. But since it's a drama, I guess you – I don't know. For me, it's like I can kind of rationalize that. But when it was, like, with the Archie characters, I think it hit me even harder because I was like, fucking Archie's dog just fucking got killed in my – you know, and I was, like, freaking out about it. So I'm just curious what your whole – take on that moment was hmm. I think I think the thing about The Walking Dead is that I like it's called The Walking Dead and it's about zombies but of course it's more about like people's interaction and surviving and stuff but like I'm watching it because I'm interested in seeing these people like deal with the zombies and the horror of it like I didn't like I don't want to watch like a bunch of like messed up kids killing each other and then them having to be like put down like they're rabbit dogs or something like that. that's not what I want to watch like I think that's like too hard of a right, right. thing it's not for me to watch because cool if you're trying to have something that is escapism then it it yeah. kind of, that's that's no it kind of exceeds escapism and becomes something else yeah, yeah. but like I, I guess I guess with the comics it's kind of like what you said it's more you know even though these are characters we grew up with and they're you know the hot dogs is on me and they, his you know Hot Dog has this vicious battle with Archie's dog, and then the the thing that the only thing that I, I was like, "Wow, that's really heavy," was when Archie was killing his dad, and that yeah, it had these yeah. like you know it was like Archie like bashing him in the head, and it had intercuts little scenes of his memories, like him hanging out with his dad, they're going fishing, yeah. just like whatever. I was like, well, "This is like really," I was like, "It's did it in a way. It's like it's really nice." <laughs> 
that it has those memories intercut with it. But at the same time, I was like, this is really brutal. I was like, it's it's yeah. artistic, but it's really brutal. So I was like, that's kind of well, yeah, because you're much. you're sitting there, you know, and it's like it, you know, it's just simple shit, like where they come up out of the. I forget if they're going through like the sewer or whatever it is, but they come out and they're like, "Holy shit, Pop Tates is on fire!" <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's just like everything's getting like fucked up, and you're just kind of like, "Well, it's a good thing." Like, and and then part of me was like, I was starting to think about like The Walking Dead and how long that comic has run, and like I think as of this, you know, recording, and and we'll release this pretty soon, so it won't be too far from that. Uh, Afterlife with Archie is only on issue four, I think, and yeah. I was just like man, how fucking long is this going to, you know, I'm like, I can't see like Archie and Reggie and all them out there for like 120 issues. It's like 122. Is it, is it, you know? is it a finite series? Or I don't know. Is it Justin? Is it, is it ongoing or is it going to end after a while? Or I, I thought it was like a five or six mini series, but I, oh, okay. I'm okay. Okay. Sure. So maybe there's two more issues. Okay. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I just started thinking about the walking dead and like, what if they just kept doing this for like ever, you know, by the end of it, it's like, it's just Veronica and, uh, the, I, I thought you were gonna like ambush me about the whole like Cheryl Blossom and then the like what is it Ginger and uh, Nancy thing that they added. No, I, was, I I don't I don't I mean I just figured that's part of their their current regime and 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 the kind of stuff that they wanted to push. Like I I find Ginger and uh, uh, no 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 Cheryl Blossom is the one with the brother, right? Yeah. Like, that was very, I thought that was going to be, I don't know, that felt like very Mark Millar, like Scarlet Witch, uh, <laughs> Silver to me. Like, but I don't know if I'm misinterpreting that or not. Like, I don't read, like, like, all I remember about Cheryl Blossom is, like, she was always, like, the new girl in town, and she came from the rival school, which they kind of illustrate that pretty well in the afterlife with Archie, and that she, basically, like, she's walking over there to the Halloween party to, like, show up. Betty and Veronica, but at the same time, like the, her brother's in the background and I'm just kind of like, this is to me, I'm like, this is a little weird, but I don't know. Like, I don't know what you're, I don't know if you know more about it than I do. I don't know. It, it just, especially like that last issue, I think it was issue four anyway, where like they implied they had been constantly playing truth and dare and they were like all into each other in some kind of like weird relationship. I was like, this is a little weird that they put those characters into that direction like I think I think it's one thing to like take the Archie cast and make them into like I don't know like I don't real teenagers kind of or like real fictional teenagers like that whole 90210 thing like right right you know, it's like an issue one like Betty and Veronica are like saying like what what you know like what crazy costumes do you want us to wear Archie kids and all that kind of stuff and I was like that seems like a typical teenager thing and you probably wouldn't see that dialogue in a normal Archie comic right Right. But at the same time, there's there's a lot of like, I mean, at least for for, I guess, even for for many years, you know, like going back to the 40s, you know, straight heterosexual males would think that Veronica is pretty hot or think that Betty is hot or whatever. And then in this, you know, she dresses up as uh, it's like they they have this big thing of, am I going to be a sexy nurse? No, that's that's you know, am I going to be a French maid? Like, oh, I would never demean myself to to dress like the help, you know, or whatever, like these kind of jokes for, you know, Veronica, because she's, you know, uh, of, of wealth, you know, and then, and then eventually what she ends up wearing is a Vampirella outfit. So I was kind of like, oh, that's, that's pretty clever. Like, I mean, you know, it kind of fits or whatever, but, you know, in some of the other uh, cases, it's like there, it, 
I, I don't know how to, you know, say it without coming off as a little nasty, but like some of the stuff seems very trendy, and then and then the whole Cheryl Blossom and her brother thing seems like it's it's like it's not a trend yet. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, and then, and then and then maybe when it is a trend, they'll be like, "See, we we had it first, you know." And you'd be like, "Oh, good for you," you know, <laughs> like congratulations. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know that that I thought was a little weird, especially because I guess I guess in, in terms of The Walking Dead, you know, like you can probably explore a lot of characterization that is free of restriction in an end of the world scenario, and it seems like that that kind of opens the doors for you know all these Archie characters to act um, out of character, yeah, character, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so so or at least you know kind of uh, in in some some cases disturbingly, you know, but um, you know, and 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 it's not like it's like look, Archie's dad was a zombie, like I don't. I, it's not like I blame Archie for you know saving his mom and and you know taking out his dad, but at the same time it's a very kind of uh, tragic kind of thing for characters that are you know at least for a long time were perceived as kind of wholesome and you know a slice of Americana you know and it's like basically like this is just kind of like hey wouldn't it be fun if we could ravage the shit out of Americana and eat, <laughs> eat them up like zombies you know and it's like a boy and his dog and at the end of it it's like. Jughead is a boy and his dog, but it's like a zombie boy and a zombie dog and a zombie's <laughs> friend's dog. And, like, everybody's fucking zombies, and they're all about to eat like everybody else, you know? So, anyway. Yeah, that's that's all I really got on Afterlife with Archie. I mean, it was definitely engaging, you know? Like, I mean, at least if you're familiar with the characters, you're like, holy shit, like, they're, who are they going to kill next? You know, like, that kind of thing. And what are they going to do when they find out, like, you know, Reggie was the one who fucked shit up, you know? Like, or at least... You know, in, uh, not intentionally. Like, he wasn't, like, you know, clasping his hands and shit, going, like, oh, I'm going to fuck Arch up with this shit. Like, I'm going to run over <laughs> Hot Dog. And, you know, it's like he didn't mean to. But, you know, it's like it, even the instigation of that seems weird because it's like the, 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 the story he tells, you would, you would infer that he either was drunk or that, like, he really, you know, because he had a thing for Midge, and then Moose and Midge were having a fight, and then, like, it it just messed him up so much. Like, it's either, it's, like, either really heavy psychological issues, or he was too inebriated to see Hot Dog. So it's just kind of, like, a weird thing to think of, you know, causing the zombie apocalypse. But I, I, I liked all this stuff with, um, with Sabrina, because... You know, since I'm familiar with that character and I, you know, read a lot about her and everything, I'm kind of like, oh, well, yeah, Sabrina, of course she would start the zombie apocalypse because she's fucking a witch, you know, like, I don't know. Like, so I, I thought that was kind of cool. So I guess uh, I guess we'll move on. Um, what, what do you want to talk about next, Justin? I, I, I like I said, this is free flowing. So um, is there anything like of those list of uh, comics that you want to delve into next? Since we're talking about weird stuff, do you want to talk about sex criminals? <laughs> All right. Um, did you uh, did you get the chance to read it? Yes, I did. I, I read I read everything that was on the list, so I'm all up to date and stuff. Okay. So we could have a a it, good dialogue about it. When when I was throwing out t- titles I wanted to discuss, I was I threw that one out there, and I was like, I don't think any of the guys are gonna like this except for me. But that's probably just me being mean, liking weird stuff. But like, well, no, I I think when when I read it, it, it I was like, oh, this makes sense why Justin likes this. Like, especially because and 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 not to take it like in a in a wrong way or anything, but to me, the things I picked up on was I was like, oh, look at the you know the lead character whose name escapes me at the moment is is a young woman, and um, 
she works at a library and she loves books and and one of her big goals in life is to basically like it, it's this kind of ostentatious thinking of I'm going to save all the books. It's like, well, how are you going to do that? Well, you know, they may the bank may take the library and tear it down, but I'm going to I'm going to basically shelter all the books within it, you know, because basically a, a library is just a building. But what makes the library great in it is all the books in it. So to me, I was like, well, that's yeah, that's fucking Justin through and through. <laughs> so I could see why why he would uh, respond so, uh, you know, uh, enthusiastically, at least to that that kind of, uh, you know, thinking and enthusiasm. So, but of course it is a little weird though. Yeah. There's also like weird stuff that kind of appeals to me. They're like, there's, there's this whole scene where the main female character, Susie, like she has this big, like queen moment where, you know, they can like basically stop time. Like whenever they get off and they're like Susie and the main, the main male character, John, it's like whenever they get off, it's like they're in this realm where time is stopped and they're the only people there. So they can basically, kind of do whatever they want and they're they have this big like kind of a musical sequence in the middle of the issue where it's like Susie's like dressed up like Freddie Mercury and they're singing Queen I was like well how could I not love a comic book like this like right, totally. right. But, well it's interesting because they couldn't even get the rights to it so it's funny because yeah, the, the <laughs> song lyrics it's like there's actually narration captions within explaining the whole kind of legal situation that imbrued because they wanted to do that scene. I don't think, I mean, I don't I, I'm, a, I'm imagining Mike is listening and following along, but did you catch the reasoning for what goes on in this comic, sex criminals? Like it's a, it's a, it's a mini, or I guess it's an image comic written by uh Dave fraction, right? Or Matt fraction. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the best way I could describe it is, do you remember like Evie Garland from out of this world at all? Yeah. Like where she like touches her fingers together and then time stops. Well, basically in this, like whenever the lead character and then she meets uh, a guy that she ends up, uh, you know, liking and stuff. Basically, whenever those two characters orgasm, it's like when Evie Garland like touches her two fingers together. <laughs> Except for they like come like blue cupcakes and shit. So it's like all <laughs> it's like the fucking uh, what what do they call it the the um the Northern Lights basically pop up every time they orgasm and then time stops. So it's like this weird kind of thing where, you know, the, the lead character, the girl, you know, she experiences this when she's like a young teenager and she kind of doesn't know what's going on. And what's interesting for me, from my perspective, I thought it was just artistic license. Like I didn't understand that it was like, I, I didn't know that Evie Garland was stopping time at that point. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, it's this, this weird book about this little girl and she's, basically, you know, discovering herself and her sexuality, and I'm just kind of like, okay, like, I guess this is just artistic license for, like, what an orgasm is like. It's like the Northern Lights, and everything's blue cupcakes, and it's wonderful, and time stops, like, when you climax. You know, and I was thinking it was it was figurative. I didn't realize it was like time was literally stopping until I got to, like, I think, like, issue two or three or, you know, whatever it was where basically it's like, oh, and the guy can also take a dump in his boss's plant when he <laughs> fucking climaxes. And I'm just kind of like, oh, this is like he, he can, like, you know, so I guess, you know, it leads to this whole heist robbery thing and kind of hijinks ensue. But um, I, again, I, I thought it was interesting. It's nothing I would have ever thought to read on my own so i thought that was kind of interesting like i was like okay that's cool like i i read something i wouldn't normally read but it's very i think in terms of you know when we did the podcast on morrison like it's definitely like 
uh, more of a vertigo, you know, style kind of, you know, outside of the box kind of comic book. And, uh, you know, if you're into that, like, great, that's cool. Um, you know, like if you love books and, you know, those kind of passions that they have, I mean, I noticed even the guy she gets with is an actor. So, or at least he, you know, he, he was trained to be an actor. So there's certain things that he does, you know, when they do the heist, it's like, oh, well, let's do a dress rehearsal. Like, let's plan it out and let's do this and that and the other thing. So there's there's some interesting aspects to all the different, you know, characters that are involved in the, in the series. So It sounds interesting. Like, like I'd probably, it, it sounds like a cool concept. I'm just, you guys just know that, like, I'm, if it doesn't have, like, superheroes or robots <laughs> in it, like, I'm not really interested all right, well, along those lines, speaking of something that Mike abhors with a passion, which is spy shit, I think we're <laughs> going we're gonna to move on to Velvet, because this is, this is the other thing that I don't know if it's going to piss Justin off or not when, when I describe it, or if, it's, or, or if some of my questions are also going to be Michael Moore questions. But uh, Velvet is basically a kind of super spy espionage thing that's written by Ed Brubaker. And if you love... Uh, Steve Epting's pencils, like, he's the guy that's penciling it. Um, I think he's pretty famous for, what, like, Civil War and all that kind of stuff, the old man Logan stuff, if I'm thinking correctly. I don't know. I'm like... What, Steve Epting? Yeah. Uh, no, that's uh, McNiven. Oh, uh, okay. He did the majority of Brubaker's uh, cap run, and he also did a lot oh, of okay. infamous bomber jacket era. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, again, I yeah, I'm like, oh, no. But all right, so then then um, Steve Epting's doing the art on it, which is you know it's a, it's it's a well written book. The the art's pretty awesome. The way I would describe it is, it's like what if Money Penny was a total fucking badass? Like that's, <laughs> that's basically that's how I I'm reading it. It's basically that's how like, I was going to describe it. <laughs> like like every every James Bond is in the book at some point, but they're all given these weird designations of like X14 and X15. So like part of me sitting there, oh that's Pierce Brosnan and that's Sean Connery and that's like whoever, but uh, all at the heart of it is this lead character who everybody thinks is a demure like you know can't do anything secretary. But what they don't realize is, you know, that was her, her prize for being in the field for so long. You know, like it, it's kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, Agent Melinda May on S.H.I.E.L.D., like when she was just doing a desk job, but she's really the badass cavalry. You know, it's like that's that's the kind of setup of this this um, character. And, of course, since it's a spy thing, you know, there's frame ups and she's on the run and she's kicking ass and she's doing all this kind of other stuff, you know, uh, you know, sleeping with guys to get intel and, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. I I was kind of thinking, like, because I'm like, well, I wonder how old she seems like a more mature woman, but still, you know, super hot and, and badass and all that kind of stuff. Like there is a flavor of it that is reminiscent of um when they did Catwoman, you know, like the same Brubaker did Catwoman and they had the Slam Bradley stuff going on where they were kind of, it was like a much older dude with kind of Catwoman who's kind of younger, but they still kind of had this intimate type relationship with one another. And um, I guess there's that other character that kind of um, hangs out with her that's much older than she is, you know, and, and there's the scene where he's like, checking her out while she's like changing into like some other suit. And she's like, Oh, stop, you know, looking at me like I'm 25 years old or whatever. And that kind of stuff. But, um, 
I thought I thought it was pretty entertaining. I mean, you know, I, I mean, if you like that kind of stuff, especially if you like James Bond, I was just wondering, like, how would you compare this interpretation to, like, I know you were pissed off about Jimmy Bond and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, <laughs> but I mean, it seems like all these X guys, like, you know, the what's his face X fourteen or whatever, who you know slept with that one chick and then you know basically left her to get you know tortured by the Russian fucking. Uh, captain or general or whatever and her eyes like got ripped out and all this other horrible shit you know and basically when when uh you know velvet or agent super money penny shows up to save her you know she's just like oh he was alive he's dead oh good because like not only did he fuck me but he fucked me you know like kind of thing so i was just i was wondering like does that color like does any of that stuff where you're like oh man why are they knocking james bond you know like type thing where they're trying to like be like this is this is about a woman and misogyny sucks and i got a stealth suit you know like so that's kind of like part of it as well it seems like yeah I, it didn't bother me in this like I, I didn't have a problem with it like i uh i don't know i think it's just the way more portrayed that jimmy bond is being a complete like i mean he's basically a rapist and that's what pissed me off but like in this it's more of a real world you know kind of 60s swinger kind of thing, and I could take it more seriously, I guess. Like, it, oh, okay. It the fact that like he, he he basically got into uh, got into her pants in the old fashioned James Bond way, even though he's a cad. It's like he's he's a what a lovable cad that she's happy he's <laughs> yeah. dead. I don't know. Okay. I mean, in, in in the books, he does come off fairly cold. I mean, he is all about. You know, in the movies, it's it's kind of like a running gag. You know, he'll he has to sleep with at least three women in a movie or something. And, you know, one of them has to be evil so he can get their plans or or whatever. But in the books, it's like that too. But in the books, I think he comes off as more of a misogynist and he's more cold. Like there's one character, I think it's a Moonraker. Uh, they're trying to do, take out this ICBM. And, you know, the book is totally different from the movie, so. You know, we're in, as in the movie, it's like a space station, and space lasers in the book, it's like an ICBM because you know that's what they had in like you know late fifties. But uh, he's on this mission with this female character, and the whole time he's all about like trying to sleep with her, and she's she's not an enemy agent or anything. She's like just someone there with him to try and help disable this missile, and the whole time he's trying to sleep with her. And at the end, she tells him, you know, she he she can't sleep with him because he's married, and he's like extremely pissed off about this. And that I think that's like one of those things. It's like feminists they want to like point out things, and they're like, "Oh, you know, you want to see how great your hero is, James Bond? Like, read Moonraker, and you'll see." Well, like, I don't, I don't see it like that. I think it's kind of unfair to judge books from then based on like today's sensibilities, sensibilities, and like how society has changed, or at least how we think it's changed. Like, I think that's pretty unfair. I mean, I could see, I could see this this book being turned into like a movie or something. But it was kind of weird because I, I I felt like it would turn into that that thing. It's interesting because you you'd get like a lot of maybe praise from women about how this character operates and how she's presented as a strong female and everything. But then I started thinking about like who would Hollywood cast as this, right? And in my head, you know, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, the chick who played Aaron's son from Farscape, you know, and I'm like, she'd be pretty cool. But actually the last time I saw her was on 90210, which was like, you know, the, the, you know, basically 90210, the next generation. And she played this kind of, uh, you know, scam artist who was doing this kind of, you know, uh, 
not religious thing, but kind of like, you know, one of these kooky spiritual people where basically she tries to swindle, you know, rich people out of their money because she's basically like, oh, your aura, you know, screams that, you know, you will be very lucky in, you know, love in, you know, China or something or, you know, wh- whatever goofy shit she says, you know, and then they all do it and, and give her like lots of money because they feel better about themselves. Um, but I, I guess my point in, in saying that is she is much older now where, you know, she may have been like the lead. I, I wouldn't say she was an ingenue in Farscape, but she was definitely, you know, the the female lead slash love interest, you know, like character. Whereas when I saw her in 90210, I just kind of went, oh, like she's working, but not, you know, she basically, you know, you see her next to all these, you know, 20 year old, you know, actors playing 16 and you go, oh, okay, well, it's been a couple of years. And, and I could just see somebody saying, even though I was like that, that sounds like a good idea. Like she should play this role. I could see some, you know, Exec going, oh, no, that'd be no good, you know, like type thing. And and then my next immediate thought went to, oh, well, unless she did a bunch of crazy ass plastic surgery like Demi Moore. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like to look like that kind of ideal representation of this super spy comic woman, you obviously would have to, you know, cut yourself up and put a bunch of plastic parts in, you know, like, so I'm just like, I don't know how the well that would go over. But anyway, it's just weird shit I was thinking of when I was reading the, uh, the comic, um, which, you know, like I said, was entertaining. It's interesting. I'm kind of curious to see how it turns out. Yeah, I really like it, but I mean, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's like, I know Mike has read that Brubaker run and he kind of, all the spy running around nonsense kind of makes him like irritated. But like, I, I love that stuff. I hate that stuff up. So it's like, it's kind of more of that thing for me, but then you've got like, you know, six, 60 spy shows, which I love throwing in, so I'm going to, like, I, I really enjoy it, so I'm going to keep following it. Most of my yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's let's throw Mike a bone, and I got I got Mr. <laughs> Knight in his his pristine white suit staring at me on the Avatar screen here, so I'm going to throw Mike a bone. Uh, you know, he wanted to talk about the first issue of Moon Knight a little bit, so, uh, you know, tell us about the first issue of Moon Knight, man. It, this is the latest volume of Moon Knight, uh, written by Warren Ellis and uh, drawn by uh, what is Declan uh, Shavley? Or I've never, I always mix him up with Kev Walker because they both were on Thunderbolts, like on and off. But yeah, I think it's Declan Shavley. But like, I, I feel bad because I always like say like Kev Walker when I see his art, and then I'm like, no wait, like Kev Walker's the dude who did most of Avengers Arena. But like the reason I do that is because they they were both on Thunderbolts like right on, after each other, so their their styles are kind of similar. But in whatever case, like you know, he does a really good job on this first issue. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I like like you said it, Derek, too. But I like like how Warren Ellis pretty much like sort of has to like acknowledges Bendis's run, but like 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 gently points out that like Bendis's notions on like. Moon Knight having some sort of like dissociative like personality dis- uh, disorder. yeah personality disorder we're all wrong and stuff and then he goes on to describe what like Moon Knight's like diagnosis probably should be based on like the symptoms and stuff and basically it boils down to like the doctor tells him you just have brain damage that's what it is you know that's why you think you're you're four different people you know it's not anything psychological or anything it's something like physical you you were abducted by aliens got dropped on your head you have brain damage yeah you don't have dissociative personality disorder 
Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was pretty funny. And, I, you know, I, I would t- just give props to Warren Ellis just for for acknowledging the previous run and then doing his own thing because a lot of times people like you know <clears throat> Bendis don't even give the courtesy of acknowledging yeah. the previous run. A lot of times, you know, when people want to do this whole fresh start and you know I don't want the baggage of continuity, like okay, fine, but there's a way to do that without just totally like dissing whoever came before you so yeah exactly and i i respect that approach too just you know just for the sake of consistency i guess and especially in the case of moon knight because like he's had what like four different series over the last like five or six years yeah. maybe yeah, so it feels like every every other year they keep trying a new stab at doing moon knight well, I, I understand why, because he looks cool, and, like, you know, he's got a cool name. It's good, like, you know, he's basically, like, a Batman yeah, ripoff. He's, and he's, I mean, he's Marvel's he's, Batman, yeah. Yeah, so he's cool, and, like, they want to make him work well. And, like, aside from, uh, what was it, uh, Charlie uh, uh, Houston was that first, like, Moon Knight, like, when they first kind of revived him, like, Is I, that I think the it was, one like, that David Finch did the art for? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was pretty good. Yeah, I liked that first. That first, the when when Charlie Houston was still writing it, but like after that, like I forgot who took over for him, but uh, it started to go downhill, and then I stopped reading it. And then they had like the Vengeance of the Moon Knight uh, series, which was kind of more of a traditional like superhero book. And then uh, they had Bendis's run, and now they've got like they're on number four now, like uh, as for like modern Moon Knight series. And you know, like I, I really like this take. Like um, I like like the setup is like he's kind of a like he goes and around and like sol- helps the police solve crimes. And like I like the yeah the whole detective where like. Uh, the, the, the him and his like beat cops are all like at a murder scene and they're they're they, they're kind of like hey what's who's that white the dude in the white suit and the mask isn't that and the detective's like no that's just Mr. Knight you know because <laughs> if you if you were to call him like Moon Knight Moon Knight is a is a uh, vigilante and I'd have to take like certain steps to ensure that he does not contaminate this crime scene but that's just a concerned citizen you know we call him Mr. Knight you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, yeah. It kind of goes through a whole like crime procedural, I, and you know, I, I, you know, I know, I know this is not entirely related to the story, but when that scene happened, like I couldn't help but think, since Moon Knight is analogous to DC's Batman, like I had this image in my head of like Commissioner Gordon at the crime scene, and instead of Batman just being in the shadows and being like, "What do you found? What's going on at the docks?" You know, or whatever. Like I had this image in my head of like, you know a dude with, like, a Batman mask on, but just, like, a fucking blue suit being like, that's just Mr. Man. Like, he's just here not to contaminate the crime scene and as a concerned citizen. And I was like, I don't... I think that's one where Moon Knight has one up on Batman because I don't think Batman could pull that off, but but Moon Knight can totally pull it off. He looks very cool in the all-white suit with the little, you know, white mask on. Yeah. Uh, Like, Warren Ellis introduced that look for Moon Knight in, like, Secret Avengers when he did his, like, little six-issue arc, and uh, I guess he liked it so much he wanted to bring it back for this series, but I guess, like, like solicitations and teasers, like, show Moon Knight back in, like, a more classic costume, but, like, I, I, I don't, I, I like the, the I kind of like the, uh, like, the Mr. Knight 
costume or whatever. Like I, like you said, I think it works for him. Uh, well, I wanted to ask you, Derek, what did you think of uh, Joy Mercado showing up again? Well, like, was that even her? Yeah, it didn't look like her at all. I thought, like I, the way I mean, I could be wrong, but the way I read it was somebody was asking for her. But I was like, when I saw that person on the panel, I was like, oh, that just must be somebody who was asking about her. But that couldn't be her. Like I don't know. To me, I was like, that doesn't look anything like her. So okay, maybe it was. I don't know. I I read it like last week, so I don't. Yeah, I no. I mean, I I kind of read it, you know, speedy as well. But I, like, I was kind of like so. To me, I, be, I guess the way I read it was I heard her name, and I go, so where is she? And I'm like, oh, I guess they're just <laughs> name-dropping her or something. And I was like, I never even saw her. Like, t- that that was my perspective of it. You know, if if that was supposed to be Joy Mercado and the, the chick with the little nose ring, and the I was like, what the hell happened to you? Like, I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I'll have to look that up again, but I could have sworn they said that was her. But Yeah, I guess I, I, I guess uh, I, it could just be me. Like, maybe I have blinders and some shit. I'm like, that's not Maxima. You know, and it's like the, the solicitation <laughs> clearly says, you know, crazy fish lady who fights Supergirl is Maxima, and luckily later they changed her name. But, you know, it could just be me with my, you know, love blinders for Joy Mercado on, just being like, that's not Joy Mercado! You know, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I could just be, I, I could just be, like, blocking it out, you know? I guess it was, I, I can, it's kind of interesting that, like, if, if he's gonna use her, like, as a recurring character, because I guess, like, Moon Knight falls under, like, the Spider-Man, like, umbrella now, like, you know, like, editors oversee a certain amount of titles. Yeah, that, and, that's like, something I thought was weird, because they do, they Jonah's still the mayor, right? Yes. Okay, because when, when they have that scene with the police interaction, he, he mentions something about the mayor hired, you know, so-and-so for this anti-vigilante task force, and I'm kind of like, Jonah hired this guy? Like, I'm all, okay. Like, you know, like, I, <laughs> I guess it was just that was what was in my head, and, like, I was like, oh, okay, all right, you know, like. Yeah, I getcha. No, uh, but, uh, like, I guess, like, Moon Knight and Hawkeye, I guess, fall under the Spider-Man umbrella, I guess, on, as as far as editing goes. But, like, I was kind of like, well, at least there's some kind of link to Spider-Man in this book or whatever, yeah. as obscure as it might be. But, I don't know, the last thing I, I'd like to say is that, like, I really loved, like, in, in Charlie Houston's run, like, Conchu, like, constantly talking to him and stuff and being like sort of a devil on his shoulder and stuff and like I hope maybe like it seemed like toward at the end of this book he sort of like sees like the avatar of Conchu in his apartment so yeah. I hope it'll, yeah. it'll what do you call like he'll he'll explore that more because I thought that was a really good element and a unique element for him and like, like I, I think like Warren Ellis like also paid homage to that first run because like he sort of revisited the idea, which was mentioned in, like, that Charlie Houston, David Finch run, where it was like, that dude, like, you're as, like, you, you solve crimes, like, you're wearing all white, like, you're as con- conspicuous as can be, and, like, you know, Moon Knight's like, that's because I want them to see me coming, you know? Yeah, like, he's so, like, this, this, is, this is the part I like, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, I, I always think that's pretty badass, so, Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty. I was pretty happy with that first issue, and I will continue to buy the series. Cool. What about you, Justin? Like, would you have any uh, first impressions on uh, on the introductory issue for Moon Knight? Um, I'll just basically echo everything Mike said. Um, I, I've liked Moon Knight too. Like since that the series, uh, Charlie Houston and uh, 
David Finch. I like that. And then you know, basically the same as Mike. After they left the book, it kind of like lost its quality, I think. But you know, the Bendis run, the, I think the less said about that, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is a really good book. And you know, like Mike said, I like that they acknowledge the previous run. They're like, yeah, here's what happened before. And we know it doesn't make sense, it's not popular, but we're going to, like, work off of it and at the same time sweep it under the rug. Like, that's that's what I liked about it. Yeah. And cool. uh, I saw, um, I saw like, some preview for the next issue, and it looks like he has, like, a... He's not wearing the suit, like, that Mike has in his avatar. It looks like kind of like a an updated version of his superhero costume, but maybe with some body armor or something, but... Yeah. Pretty neat. Like I, I remember in that maybe, vengeance maybe the, of, the Arkham Origins Moon Knight or something. Yeah, I was gonna say like in in that Vengeance of Moon Knight series, like man, like I, I'm convinced that they were like using like dark the like the suit he had uh, Batman had in the Dark Knight like as a basis, like with the segmented like armor and stuff. Like I was like, oh man, you guys are clearly ripping off like Batman for his costume here, but. So so how about we uh, continue rolling down the Marvel gravy train? I, I know we did briefly discuss the first issue. In in a timey-wimey future episode, you'll hear more about Amazing X-Men number one. Um, but just in general, uh, it, the, the first arc is almost wrapped up. Um, it's going to be you know five issues long. Um, as far as I know, it's only on issue four as of now. Um, but this is basically you know the return of Nightcrawler arc. Um, it's by Jason Aaron, who, you know, is, is either really hit for me or really miss for me. Um, but, yeah, he's mostly been hit with the X-Men stuff. And it's got uh, some wonderful art by Ed McGinnis. Um, if you're a fan of, of uh, Mr. McGinnis, you, you uh, won't be disappointed with these five issues. Um, but I know I know both uh, Mike and Justin probably have a, a lot of specific thoughts on, you know, what they think of this initial arc. So um, I'll just throw it over to Justin. Like, what what was your um, take on this this run, this new series for X-Men? Um, just that it's fun. I mean, I, I like his run of Wolverine and the X-Men. Like, I, I thought it was really good. But, like, Reading this, I mean, just the first four issues, like you said, those are the only issues that are out. But just reading this, like, it it has, like, a really great sense of fun. I mean, it has, like, crazy over-the-top stuff like Azazel as a pirate with a pirate ship attacking heaven. Like, that's that's a pretty crazy and out-there idea. And, you know, you have Nightcrawler kind of defending heaven, and then you bring in the X-Men who, you know, just recently have acquired uh, Firestar as a member which I thought was really great. Um, but it, it's just fun, and you have all these little nice uh, flashback moments where, like, Nightcrawler is, you know, helping one of the X-Men. Like, you have this neat, neat moment where, like, the X-Men are going out on town, and Beast and Nightcrawler, who, you know, they can look human with maybe, like, a hologram projector or something, but they're not human-looking. So they decide to, like, stay home and just, like, have their own, like, little, like, buddy night or something. Like, I thought that was great. And then there's one where, like, Nightcrawler talks Storm into, you know, staying with the X-Men. It's like she she wants to leave and go back home to Africa. And he's just like, you know, you, no, you need to stay here with me and stay here with us. Like, it's, it's just a fun book. I really enjoy it. And the art I was I was just going to say that um, as far as, as Nightcrawler and Beast having a, a shared night of fun together because of, you know, how they looked and, you know, how they couldn't kind of go out on a night on the town with everybody else because they, they obviously their outward appearance does not resemble, you know, humanity in that sense. Um, 
all I could think of was like all the talk about, you know, well, we can't possibly have two blue guys in the same movie. And I was just like, <laughs> fuck you, 20th Century Fox. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, because it's like this is a nice little scene where they, you know, they get to sort of, you know, have a little danger room fun night. And, and um, I, I think it also harkens back to a lot of the early Dave Cockrum you know, Nightcrawler as the swashbuckling pirate, you know, the, the kind of guy who loved Errol Flynn. I mean, I don't, I don't mind any of the stuff that is included, you know, where he gets, you know, religious and pious and all that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously that's also equally referenced with, you know, his father being Azazel and, and him being, you know, cloaked in heaven and and all this other stuff and defending heaven. Um, but I thought some of the greatest moments were kind of like what you're talking about, like some of these flashbacks, like with him and Storm and how he sets up the little kind of garden for her to kind of give her a piece of home, you know, away from home. But actually, you know, even though I'm always ragging on Wolverine, I thought, you know, that that splash page, because, you know, Wolverine basically gets fucked up, gets kicked off this, um, you know, pirate ship, and they're telling him, you know, don't look down, don't look down, you know, don't get you know, caught up in heaven and all this other shit. And him and Northstar are, you know, basically freezing their asses off and everything. And he basically is kind of on his last leg and he's about to give up and just fucking die. And, um, you know, he flashes back to this conversation he has with Nightcrawler about, you know, well, you know, how do you think you're going to die, Elf? And, you know, well, I'm probably going to, you know, die with like, you know, alone with like a face full of ninja arrows in my head and all this other shit. And he's like, Oh sure. Logan, like you're not going to be surrounded by family and friends and all this other stuff when you die. And he's like, I don't think so, bub, you know? And, uh, you know, but he's like, he's like, well that, you know, that, that would not be a, you know, a fun way to die basically. Like just to be by yourself, you know, you'd want to, you want to, you know, have a better death than that, you know? And, and so even though he's face foot in the snow, you know, he kind of remembers that flashback and that kind of gives him the strength to keep going. And then when he finally sees Nightcrawler, there's this just, I don't know, that kind of made me sad. Like it's this, this awesome page of him, you know, kind of hugging Nightcrawler and like, you know, even though he's still like dead and in heaven and shit, he doesn't really know that. And I don't know, just the look on Wolverine's face, it was just kind of like, you know, oh, dude, he he got to reunite with like one of his best buddies. Like that was, I don't know. I thought that was a nice little moment. So, yeah, I, I like the the. It's really I, I basically liked all the scenes where Nightcrawler got to see his like friends again, and like I, I really like that scene where like he meets with Storm again, and like Storm's like, I don't care what else happens. Like you're coming with us. Like you know. What do you call? It? I won't leave you here, like you know, alone or whatever. So, like, you know, it, it really like sells like how much they all miss him, yeah, basically. Yeah. And like, I love Firestar, so like uh, her being added to the team was like great. I was like, well, that's like nice. It's like it only took like two decades, <laughs> like or whatever, you know, from like where, where I was like as a kid, I was like, why isn't Firestar an X Man in the comics? <laughs> like, you know, she's on the TV show, but she's know. she's one of the original X Men, obviously. Yeah. That's, she, uh, that's what that's what cartoons told me. So. <laughs> She's had some nice time with, like, Iceman. Um, Mike, what would you think if, like, her and uh, Iceman became, like, uh, you know, in a relationship or something? <laughs> it's more like Slush Man, <laughs> like, now. <laughs> but eh, I wouldn't mind it. I mean, I'd be like, score Frank Welker. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like that Iceman and, like, Kitty relationship didn't really go anywhere, so, like, yeah. that'd be cool. I, I'd be cool with it. I, I liked them as a couple, but it just seemed kind of like an afterthought. They're like, hey, let's put Iceman and Kitty together. That'll be neat. And I was like, yeah, that'll work. And then they just kind of, like, went kind of nowhere. Yeah. Wait, Kitty was like, and now I am leaving team for no reason. <laughs> No, it's a very important reason. It's to judge uh, costumes when she's wearing the exact same costume. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, but, like, I, I enjoyed the book, and, I mean, let's face it, Azazel's lame. Like, like let's, like, it, it's, it, you know, he's a Chuck Austin creation, he's lame. <laughs> but, so the only way to take him seriously is make him, make him a goofy pirate who, like, leads a pirate ship in heaven, so, you know. I, I enjoyed the discrepancy of, like, there are red bamps and there are blue bamps and Nightcrawler, somehow there's some mystery in how he came to an arrangement to create the blue bamps, but um, I'm looking forward to whatever that arrangement is, whether it's just, like, you know, a giant, huge, godlike whiskey bin, or I don't know what the deal was, but it must have been something awesome. So, uh, I just like that scene. I think it's in the first issue, like Firestar is just kind of wandering around the uh, mansion or whatever, the Jean Grey school, and like nobody's really paying attention to her. Like, there's all kinds of other stuff going on, and like she like wanders into Beast's lab, and all of a sudden Beast is like, he has like this big you know, panel where he's like, got like a shotgun or something, he's like, I'm gonna kill him! The little bamps, they've been like messing up my stuff, and she's just like, whoa, what have I got myself into? <laughs> it's too bad, uh, I guess Ed McGinnis isn't doing any more of the book or whatever after that first arc, and uh, okay. I know like Chris, Chris Yost is taking over as of issue like 8 or nine, I think. So that's pretty good. I mean, obviously he's writing like new new warriors too. So like he, I think he said like on Twitter, he was like, "I'm writing new warriors and Amazing X Men and Firestars and Amazing X Men and Justices and New Warriors." Like, what a coincidence! Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Like he's like, I hope those books don't cross over or any, <laughs> anything. You know. Awesome. I wonder if uh, I wonder if like it ends with like a scene of like. Uh, Justice shaking Iceman's hand, going like, "You better treat her good, Slushman." Yeah, and then <laughs> Slushman. they 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 go off to have happy adventures in their own respective books. So I guess um, I'll I'll just speak up for some of the books that I mentioned real quick. I think it's it's more of a shout out to a writer in particular, Sterling Gates, than you know just any book in particular. But um, two of the books I wanted to mention were. Forever Evil Argus, which is kind of like a side spin-off miniseries from the main uh, Forever Evil, you know, big ongoing crossover event, which is taking forever to fucking finish. Please hurry up and finish that. Thank you. Um, but yeah, um, so there, there's that ongoing Forever Evil thing where the crime syndicate have basically, you know, are kind of running the, the DC universe. But uh, the thing that I liked most about Forever Evil Argus is that its its main character, its lead character, is Steve Trevor. And because it deals a lot with Steve Trevor's history... It actually deals with a lot of the new 52 history of Wonder Woman. So I don't know if, you know, eventually in the ongoing Wonder Woman title, they, they will contradict this or whatever, but it, it was really nice to see kind of what I would think, you know, should have been told at some point in the, the new Wonder Woman story, which is like how her and Steve met and, you know, 
how they basically interacted with, you know, the White House and all this other kind of stuff and, and, and kind of what their relationship with, uh, you know, Barbara Minerva was and Cheetah. Like, this is kind of all done in, you know, little mini flashbacks in Steve's head and how he needs to get certain kind of, um, I guess, MacGuffins, you know, to help save the day. Um, you know, so some of those are like magical items. So it's like, oh, yeah, me and Wonder Woman had this awesome adventure where we got MacGuffin, you know, Mirror XYZ or whatever. And you're like, oh, OK, cool. Well, then they show you some flashbacks about, you know, some things as opposed to, you know, saying like, dude, we had this awesome fight with Despero like a long time ago. And you're like, when did that happen? And what comic? Oh, we never wrote it. You know, so it's like it's cool to see some of that stuff. Um, and then on top of uh, Steve Trevor just being like a total badass because there's a you know scene where the cheetah you know lassos him up with the lasso of truth and him and cheetah have this big awesome sort of you know mental arm wrestling match where it's like cheetah thinks like i got the lasso of truth i'm gonna own your ass steve trevor and steve's like well you know wonder woman always told me you know it's like it's more of a contest of wills and who's ever more noble is the one that the lasso is gonna listen to and it's like you're fucking lame and he knocks her out and shit and i'm just like yay um because i like steve trevor um so that was really cool. Uh, Martin Stein, if you're a fan of Firestorm, he also appears in the series. And Killer Frost kind of does like this rival fusion thing. So where he, she sort of teams up with Steve Trevor because I guess the idea is that she needs Firestorm to live. And, you know, basically her whole deal is she's predicated on kind of absorbing the heat out of people, you know. And, and Firestorm is the only kind of he he's the only person who could generate that kind of excessive repetitive heat that would keep her alive basically like where she's actually comfortable so you know it'd kind of be like the parasite teaming up with somebody to save superman because he's like who else am i going to juice off of you know other than that character so since the crime syndicate had you know basically quote-unquote killed the justice league and firestorm is missing you know basically she's tracking down martin stein and so is Steve Trevor as part of the whole MacGuffin search and they end up kind of teaming up to, you know, fight any uh, society members that they encounter along the way. And then I guess the other uh, title that Sterling Gates had written that I just wanted to bring up was a dynamite title called Captain Victory. And if you're not familiar with Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers, um, this was an old Jack Kirby comic. I think it came out sometime in the 80s from Pacific Comics. Um, and it, I think it ran for about like 13 or 14 issues. I think I was first attracted to the whole idea was when I read an article about how basically they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Jack Kirby kind of said like Orion had a son. And I'm like, Orion of the New Gods had a son? Like, okay. And like basically there are hints in that original title that like, you know, Captain Victory had an evil grandfather and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, oh, that's dark side. And, you know, and some of the concepts are kind of similar. They have these, you know, evil beings that are like considered, you know, the shadows where basically if you get infected with the shadows, it's like you basically are lost. Like you're, you know, basically totally corrupted by this evil force. And it kind of reminds me of how they interpret you know, people who fall under Darkseid's thrall in regards to, like, anti-life and everything, where they're just like, Darkseid is, Darkseid is everything, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of very uh, similar, you know, kind of ideology or, or 
themes in in those two books but also if you're a big fan of like science fiction and stuff like Battlestar Galactica or I, I guess the best way to describe it is if Jack Kirby was writing Captain Harlock and he wasn't a pirate but he was a badass space soldier who had a bunch of kind of Kirby technology and Kirby crackle behind him like that's kind of <laughs> what what Captain Victory is um, you know he's got like this kind of interesting cast of characters like you know just kind of like how captain harlock does on his ship he's got like the wacky engineer or like the guy tochiro who's kind of you know uh, not your average looking joe you know he doesn't look like this kind of handsome comic type character and there's a um i'm trying to remember the guy's name i think his name is um I want to. I think he's like an egghead type guy or something. I forget exactly what his name was, but you know, there, there's all these various kind of supporting characters where you know they're all kind of done in this Kirby style. Where obviously the you know Captain Victory is the leading man, so he kind of has those chiseled good looks. But everybody surrounding him, they're a little more, um, you know, interesting because they they have you know aliens and you know characters that would be reminiscent of people like you know. War from Star Trek, where it's like this kind of tiger-looking alien who's all about honor and stuff, but he too is also, you know, a galactic ranger under Captain Victory's command. So, you know, there's lots of cool stuff like that. Um, I enjoyed it. I like science fiction stuff, so I thought I'd bring that up in this kind of, you know, comic book free-for-all. Um, but also, staring me in the face right now on Justin's avatar is the mask, the full face mask, where we can't see his mouth. It's not just a little domino mask of what I would describe as the 1940s Green Hornet. And, uh, you know, Justin also wanted to bring up the new series from Dynamite. It's been running for about 10 issues or so. Um, and this is by uh, Mark Wade, who was just coming off, I guess, or starting, depending on your point of view, some really awesome runs on Daredevil. But he's also writing a Green Hornet series for Dynamite. So uh, do you want to go into that a little bit, Justin? Yeah, it's it's been a pretty good series so far. Like, whereas I was really excited for Mark Wade to take on Hulk, like, that's been kind of, for the most part, a little disappointing. Um, but, like, this, this series has been pretty good, and it's had a lot of, like, interesting turns. Like, you've had, like, three or four issues there where, like, Green Hornet and Kato, like, kind of had this disagreement, and they weren't working together. Um, like, I thought that was really interesting, and I I thought it was going to go into this big thing where, like, they were going to have some kind of, like, crime war or something. Like, you know, Green Hornet would have, like, his Green Hornet gang, and Kato would, like, make, like, a Green Hornet uh, – a Kato would have, like, a Kato gang, and they would, like, go to war or something. But, like, that – that like that's what I was expecting, but that didn't happen. It's um, weird. It was it was a big rift, but it seemed yeah. to get squashed pretty quickly from my yeah. point of view. Like it reminded me of the uh, Timothy Truman like Lone Ranger miniseries from Tops, where you know they they him and Lone Ranger have that falling out over you know Tonto's dead sister, and he punches him in the face and everything. So they they have kind of a similar moment where. You know, basically, it's like, Britt Reed, you've gone too far. I'm not going to make you a cappuccino anymore. And he fucking karate chops him and gets the fuck out of there. You know, that kind of idea, you know, where it's it's weird. Like, you know, Mark Wade's obviously like uh, it feels like he's a super political person. And so some of that stuff um, comes into the story. Um, but I think it makes sense because Green Hornet was always about fighting corruption and, and, and you know, kind of 
whatever kind of corruption was afflicting the city. And that wasn't always limited to criminals. It was, you know, it goes, you know, there's obviously corruption in all arenas and especially in politics. So, so, you, you know, you have him taking out these, you know, corrupt, you know, officials and, 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 uh, you know, what I thought was cool about it was they could at least say in this comic, like, Oh, you know, these, um, you know, I guess I guess they'd call them one percenters, you know, these these steel mill guys who are basically, you know, uh, blaming all this stuff on a, a bad guy called the voice. But in reality, they're just kind of cheap Charlie and all these workers and taking all this steel and they're selling it to, you know, what would be in the movie serials an unknown foreign agent, you know, with with quotes over it or whatever, <laughs> you know, but in this, at least they can just straight up say, oh, these guys are assholes and they're selling this fucking steel to the Nazis. And like, then you're like, yeah, Green Hornet, punch those fucking Nazis in the face, you know, like, so it's like there's there's some cool elements like that. I mean, I kind of like that it's set in the 1940s. Um, but then, I don't know, like, I was going to ask you about this. What do you think about Casey being like the fucking internet Al Gore oracle of, uh, the 1940s? Like, cause I was like, I, I was reading it and I'm like, oh, that's cool that he told her who he was, but I was just like, oh, now she's fucking oracle all of a sudden. It's like, it's like one day, Casey, we will have a crazy invention that everyone will be able to access any information whenever they want. It'll be called Google or something like that. <laughs> um, but for today, I've just got a big room with a bunch of, uh, you know, newspaper uh, clippings and reels. And and luckily, you're going to be able to phone me whenever I need this information and tell me about it, you know, and then it just becomes, I don't know, to me, it kind of deteriorates when it's like, then she becomes like Chloe Sullivan, where they're like, you know, stalking out some bad guys. And, you know, the Greenhorn's like, so where are they? It's like, oh, go down to 23rd Street, Brit. And I'm just kind of like. They have cell phones like what the <laughs> fuck is going on like that that I thought was kind of like I, I it was like too steampunk for me or I don't know if that's the right term but I was just like come on man like this is still this is still like World War Two era stuff here like so um, I, I thought that they kind of got carried away but I you know I, I was happy too that he like told her about everything but then I was like I think the slightest issue he like he gives her some information he's like you know here's some uh, information about this, like, radio transmission. See if you can have someone, like, figure out where it came from. And I was like, is that all she is now? She's, like, a secretary, like, gopher slash oracle. Um, yeah, that's what it feels that's, like. That's kind of lame. But, like, I, I guess at the same time I have to, like, point out guys like Burbank from The Shadow, where he mm. was basically he was basically the oracle of that time. And that was written, you know, in the 30s or 40s. So that that that's, like, completely devoid of, like, current influences like the internet but like it right you know, for those who came in late you don't know who burbank is basically burbank is this operator he's one of the shadows agents you know the shadow has all kinds of agents working for him you know they're on the lookout for like shady stuff going down but like burbank is this guy who basically coordinates with the agents it's like if somebody sees something hinky going on they're like hey burbank i saw blah 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 going down he'll be like okay i'll let the boss know but like burbank's basically in this giant room full of like telephones uh, like what telegraphs and all this other stuff. He's basically he basically is the Oracle for the Shadow, but like it was, you know, something created entirely in that era. So like I, I guess that's not that strange, you know, for me to be like, okay, you know, this is what she's doing. But I guess I I guess I do kind of like see 
what you're saying. Like, I hope that character doesn't become, you know, just a gopher for the Green Hornet, and so that's mm, all she. Does. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, they they seem to they they still seem to have a pretty strong relationship. I mean, she definitely yeah. sort of was the one who. I, I guess if if you were saying that the Green Hornet was getting too full of himself, you know, when when yeah. he and Cato had that, you know, uh, sort of philosophical divergence in terms of how they should go about doing things, um, you know, she's the, the one who kind of, I guess, snapped him out of it by having a, a chat with him. So I thought I thought some of the violence, like it was kind of interesting how it, a lot of it was staged, you know, like I thought that was kind of cool because, you know, part of me like, I, you know, I've, I've watched the serials and the, the radio show and the, the TV shows and stuff like that. And, and part of it that's always the tough sell is like, I'm a criminal, but I'm always catching you bad guys and locking you up, you know. But <laughs> yeah. in this, it's like there's there's scenes where you're like, holy fuck, he just kicked this dude off a building and burned him to death. And then you find out it's like, oh, Cato was in a fat suit and it was all staged, <laughs> you know. And so like and, and it's like but but at the same time, it does, you know, it does what it's supposed to do. It gives you that holy fuck moment of like, oh, shit, he just, you know, he shot this dude in the face. It's like, oh, no, it's cool. Like Cato just had some ketchup in a squib or, you know, I, I just made that up. But the fat, the fat suit and the guy on fire is like really in the book right and so they they have these kind of moments where they definitely sell his um the the fear of the green hornet as this you know criminal operator where you know the green hornet walks in a room and you might go who's this goof with a fucking mask on but most people in this universe the green hornet walks in the room people are kissing his fucking hand and be like don't fucking kick me off the fucking roof and set me on fire, please. Like, I, I don't want to fuck with you, you know? And I kind of like, that's pretty cool, you know? I'm just thinking, like, someone's going to notice, like, hey, wait a minute. The Green Hornet only ever kills Asian criminals. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, dude, the you're, deal you're here? totally faked out because he had a big fat suit on, and, like, you didn't even think, like, you're looking at the guy, he looks like, you know, Pete McGillicuddy from uh, Ireland or whatever, and then when Cato <laughs> takes off the suit, it's like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I guess that's just, you chalk it up to Mission Impossible, Kato shenanigan comic stuff. But, um, uh, the, I guess the other thing is, I know we're talking about escapism and, and when it kind of blurs the line and stuff, and then it ceases to become escapism. Um, I think it was issue nine or issue eight. Um, he, he basically just to give Mike some of the setup so he understands what's going on. There is this cop that's one of the supporting characters i think his name is dugan or something and he basically he's a pretty you know straight arrow cop like he's one of the guys that normally is not on the take and and is doing his job but from his perspective the green hornet is a criminal and so at one point he kind of has the drop on the green hornet and is like well you know why should i let you get away and you know i'm a good cop i should arrest you and all this other stuff and he says you know green hornet is playing his criminal role and he's like well everybody has a price and and this is some of the moral differences where Cato gets a little upset and everything cuz maybe you know kind of like cyclops walking that tightrope you know i think uh, brit reed the green hornet you know he's definitely walking that tightrope of of the the kind of similarity that, you know, Cyclops would have when he was leading the X-Men on Utopia. And one of the things he does is basically says, well, hey, look, I know your wife is really, really sick, you know, and I know the police department isn't paying you shit to help her get better, but guess what? I got this wad of cash that can go to her hospital bills and all this other stuff. And at first the cop's like, I don't think I want to do this or whatever, but eventually, you know, 
kind of reality sets in and he's like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to, you know, take this bribe from the Green Hornet and let him off just so I can, you know, help my wife out and all this other stuff. And you follow this guy's story throughout a couple issues and stuff. And and at some point he's like, you know what? I can't live with myself anymore. I can't do this. You know, fuck you, Green Hornet. Like, you know, and, and, and you know, Green Hornet's head is like, good. I was wondering how long it would take him to, you know, it's nice to know there's still some good people in the world and, you know, that he eventually, you know, got the spine to stand up to me and all this other stuff. And, and he kind of took that as a good thing. But in the meantime, his, this, you know, wife of his is still sick. And so at the end of this one issue, basically, it's supposed to be like, oh, you know, like Bruce Wayne basically handing out money and, you know, patting himself on the back. You know, Britt Reed is like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, Casey calls up and is saying like, oh, you've, you know, won this support and we're going to pay all the hospital bills. It's some, you know, anonymous thing or whatever. And you'd think this would be really, really great news. And then the last page you see is the guy sitting there on the phone in complete shock. And you're like, well, why is he in complete shock? And you realize his wife has blown her fucking brains out and she's on the couch, you know, already. So, and, and it's just like one of those kind of moments where you're like, fuck, like that's, that's pretty fucking heavy. And and then they go into more details into the next issue. And it ends with this like really awful Tobey Maguire scrunchy faced picture of Britt Reed crying, which yeah. I took me out of it completely. But yeah. um, but but the, the weight of that moment still sort of held up for me. But I was curious what Justin's take on all that was. Yeah, I thought that was pretty. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is shocking. Like, yeah, I, I didn't think it was extreme or gratuitous or anything. I thought it no, was no. a very, very interesting like outcome for that whole situation. Like you see, it's like you know, Green Hornet is a hero who pretends to be a criminal, but then it's like you get to like all these moral areas. It's like that's kind of like that's why Green Hornet and Kato had that falling out because Britt was starting starting to do all this stuff that like Kato didn't agree with. And this is just like kind of further fallout from that when you kind of put people in these situations like, you know, like Derek just described the cop and the money and stuff. And then it's like, well, you know, the cop's wife obviously, you know, couldn't live with it anymore and she took her own life. But like I like I, I didn't think it was too heavy or gratuitous. You know, we've been talking about that throughout the show, but like I, I just thought it was like very – hard-hitting, I guess, like, I kind of, I guess that's, like, the whole thing from Mark Wade's run is, like, there's all kinds of hard-hitting consequences for Britt Reed to continue acting like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some of the stuff I'm kind of like, I, you know, some of the guys, what they say, maybe them parroting some of Mark Wade's beliefs, so, like, or, or I don't know, or maybe not, maybe they're just stupid, quote-unquote, one-percenters who don't know what they're talking about, but there is, like, one one clip of a scene where the guy basically, you know, he's basically saying, oh, you know, labor unions and, and stuff like that, they're all dirty commies, um, you know, and, and, you know, basically kind of lamenting how they won't have control over the masses and that kind of stuff. But then he makes the leap to say that, uh, you know, but that's why we're still selling steel to Hitler. And I'm just kind of like, Hitler was a fucking socialist. Like, I don't, I don't get how that even makes any fucking, like, like, it could just be that he's a stupid idiot, you know, and it's not supposed to make sense. But I was just trying to, I'm like, how do you make that leap in logic? Like, how do you go from like, 
I, I, you know, to me, I'm like, I follow the logic of this guy doesn't like the unions because they threaten his status as this big, you know, nefarious businessman who gets shit done on the cheap. Like, I'm not saying it's right, but I understand that character's point of view to that point, you know, like, like that's why that was his motivation for doing what he did. But then all of a sudden it's like, and that's why I'm selling the steel to Hitler. And I just went, okay, I don't follow that. You know, like, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't understand how he made that leap. Like, oh, Hitler's going to make shit better. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like that doesn't make any goddamn sense to me, but you know, I guess maybe it does to, uh, you know, I don't know. There, there were some things like that where it was a little hard for me to follow what the logic was. It wasn't that I didn't understand what was being said or what was being insinuated, but I just kind of went, okay, like, that's fine. You know, like, I just kind of went, all right, I'm going to just keep reading the, you know, the Green Hornet story and see what happens. But you, you kind of wonder if, if Britt Reed is going to, um, I don't know, it's weird. It's like they started out, like, kind of, you, you kind of thought maybe he would go down a much darker path. And I don't know if he's still spiraling or if he stopped himself from spiraling or what. Like, I'm kind of interested to see how that that all plays out. Like, is it going to end with, like, Casey, like, slapping him in the face and, like, being like, I'm not going to be your oracle anymore. And Kato's like, you know, I'm not going to drive for you again, you know, or whatever. Like, I don't know if, if it's going to get worse or if it's now it's just he learned his lesson type thing and things are going to get better. Like, it sounds like, you know, there there are things, like, where – they talk about progress and modernization and stuff. And some of that's in terms of, you know, unionizing and, and, and fair wages and, you know, 40 hour work week and all these kind of things that people probably take for granted today that they didn't always have, you know, back in, in that era. Um, but then there's also stuff where they, you know, it's like Britt Reed basically uh, has the board, you know, say, Oh, well, we don't want you to be, um, the the publisher of the sentinel anymore and Britt reed's response is i don't fucking care because i'm going to buy this radio station instead you guys are antiquated you know and i'm like well it's still 1940 but you know i'm kind of like i'm sure newspaper isn't going to be you know gone by you know 1945 or whatever you know what i mean like but at the same time like it made me think of stuff like alan scott like how he was like a big media mogul you know, where he had his own radio station, too. So I was like, oh, that's kind of, you know, I don't know. Like, it's things I think are interesting. But, like, if radio's the next big thing, and then they leap to, like, you know, Casey, you are my oracle. Like, phone me up like Chloe and tell me where the fucking secret stash of the little kids are. You know, like, you know, I'm just kind of like, well, that's, you know, that's something else. But anyway, it, it, it's it's cool. I mean, it's it's an interesting take on things. I, I, I like that version of the Green Hornet, I think, a lot, like the sort of, you know, 40s yeah. with the full mask, you know, and that kind of stuff. Like, I find that um, a, a fun error to uh, to see him in. Like, it seems like he's at his peak and stuff, and they, they take it pretty seriously, you know, even when, when Green Hornet and Kato do kind of get into a physical altercation. It's not like, you know, I know to most people it's like Kato should just, you know, do a one kick because he's Bruce Lee and then fucking <laughs> Britt Reed is fucking knocked the fuck out. But I kind of like how, you know, it's like they acknowledge that Kato is clearly the superior fighter, but of course, just like Batman, Britt Reed fucking cheats and shit and like, you know, pulls up his, his, uh, you know, um, his trench coat, like it's the fucking bat cape. And then Kato like totally 
ass slams it or whatever, but it's like, haha, Britt Reed's not in there, and there's a bunch of gas around, and he fucking clobbers him with the fucking table, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. So there's there's ways around, you know, the you know super kung fu master and stuff, you know. So you're like, okay, you know. So th- th- there was lots of cool stuff in that. So I think the only other, uh, am I missing anything else? Like the only other thing I I had left to discuss was I thought maybe it'd be fun to talk about that Earth Two. Um, Batman origin, but did I miss anything else that we were going to discuss? Um, Lords of Mars, but I mean, oh, oh, okay, we can talk about that for a few minutes. That was cool. I mean, that was that was Tarzan and um, John Carter teaming up, which is always cool. I, I love team ups. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I, there there had been a previous team up, which I kind of talked about a little bit in a Fanholes blog a year or two ago. Um, they met in a Dark Horse crossover, which I thought was it was okay but not really that great so when dynamite announced they were going to bring these two together i kind of i was like excited but then i was like oh i hope it's better than that one and it was all tons better like i was i kept expecting like this big showdown between tarzan and john carter i guess that's what people always expect when two characters meet you kind Mm. of expect them to fight and team up which thankfully they didn't fight like tarzan threw one punch and then he was like he was over it um I thought the writing was really good. The only thing that made me grumpy was, like, in this whole miniseries, like, all six issues, it seemed like Tarzan was really prone to get angry. And he's he's really not like that in the books. I mean, he when he's angry, like, stay out of his way. But, like, he, you know, you see in the first issue, he kind of loses his temper and attacks these people, which, you know, they deserve to be attacked. But, like, it's kind of like they taunt him and he loses his temper. And that's basically what's seems to be setting him off through this whole series. It's like he, he's taunted and made angry. Yeah, it seems like it seems like they could have maybe... I mean, they, they did an okay job of, of giving a reason for why he would lose his cool, yeah. but it, it's more like a Marty McFly getting called chicken reason <laughs> yeah. than like some kind of scientific reason, like, oh, they, they shot his blood with angry nanites or whatever, <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, that's why he's, you know brought to the brink, but then he's, like, a super cool guy, so he fights it off or whatever. But this is more like the Marty McFly, like, come on, dude, he just called you chicken. You don't need to fucking race this guy. Like, it's not that important. Like, come on, get over it. You know, whereas, you know, that's kind of the vibe you get where it's like, you call Tarzan chicken, you know? And he's, like, all fucking pissed and shit. And you're just like, it's cool, dude. It's cool. Uh, I also like that they gave uh, Jane, like, quite a bit of FaceTime, you know, I guess I guess it's more of a movie thing that Jane is always like in need of being rescued. Like mm. she, I mean, she does her fair share of being rescued in the books, but not always. Like I liked it that they basically made her proficient with a rifle in this comic, and that's yeah. Funny. Like I, the the running gag is like everybody from Earth, whether it's John Carter or Tarzan, is always like, "Man, she's some Annie Oakley," and all the fucking Martian dudes are like. Anki, Oki, what that? You know, like, they're like, they can't even get her name right. You know, they're also, Anki, what the? You know, and everybody's kind of like, dude, don't worry about it. It's cool. Yeah, like, like in the book, she's she's very proficient with a rifle, and she's she's not some, like, you know, oh, Tarzan, save me, like, like some kind of damsel in distress, like, constantly. Like, she's pretty self-confident, and I like that they had that in this comic and that she's, you know, while they're on Mars, like Tarzan is kind of being, you know, the therns, the evil, the, or evil characters are trying to get him to do their dirty work. And the, the whole time, Jane is the one saying, Tarzan, don't you think this is a little weird? Like, doesn't this feel like 
were being used and set up, and he was just like, no, I'm going to go kill, like, a Martian lion, a bant, and, you know, do my own thing. But, like, she's, like, the voice of reason, and I, I like that. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I like that guy's, the, the, the main bad guy. He's this big sluggy-looking dude. He kind of <laughs> looks like Slug from Amazing Spider-Man, except for he's got all these, like, kind of regal garments on him and everything, but he's kind of a you know, sluggy job of the hut type character. But man, he's got like all these slave Leia chicks around him. I was like and then like DJ Thoris shows up and I'm just like, damn dude, I'm like trying to pay attention to the story, but I can't because there's all this like hot ass running around Mars. I'm like, I gotta go to Mars, man. There's some hot fucking chicks on Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars because there's lots of ass. Yeah. Um, the thing I thought was interesting is um this miniseries kind of it, it ends with one of those the end question mark things. Oh, okay. And over on the dynamite boards, they've been teasing a huge borough centric event. So I'm kind of wondering if oh, okay. if there's going to be like a sequel where they meet like other Burroughs characters, like Carson of Venus, or maybe they're going to go to Pellucidara, which is like okay. you know dinosaur world at the center of the earth. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering like yeah. what's next. That's kind of neat. I'd, I'd look forward to that. I, I, you know, I, I think I'm a sucker for team up type stuff. So when I realized that, because I, you know, one of the things you mentioned was was the Lords of Mars, and I knew, you know, by the title it was John Carter for sure, but I didn't realize I was like, oh, I should have known, like, you know, Lord of the Jungle, you know, like, oh, I should have known this is like a Tarzan, John Carter thing. But yeah, I thought it was. Uh, you know, I thought the John Carter movie was a lot of fun. I read, like, a few issues of the Marvel comic after that, but sort of lost track of it. And, um, you know, I, but, yeah, I I enjoy this world and the science fiction aspect of it and the fantasy and stuff. And it was fun seeing, um, you know, Tarzan in a different environment than he's used to. So yeah. I guess then the, the, the one last thing that I just wanted to bring up with Justin, because I guess it's just been on my mind lately, is... Um, you know, the the sort of restructuring of the Earth 2 comic book. For a while here in the New 52, you know, obviously Earth 2 is kind of a nod to the kind of Justice Society type comic book. Um, but the New 52 version, you know, they made all the characters a lot younger. Um, you know, Alan Scott was, uh, you know, uh, openly gay. You know, like different things were, were slightly changed. Um, you had like, uh, you know... The, the hot girl in the um, series. Um, I'm trying to think of like who some of the other main characters were, like the Adam, Al Pratt. So you had these kind of Earth 2 versions of them. You know, the um, Dr. Fate, you know, uh, was also heavily featured. Um, and so that was all, um, that was all written by James Robinson. And that was up to about issue, I want to say like 16 or 17. You had like a lot of interaction with like Stephen Wolf and Mr. Miracle and Big Barda and a lot of the, characters from Apocalypse, because the basic setup is, you know, on that original Earth-2 world, um, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman all died fighting off, you know, the hordes of Apocalypse. And then, you know, there were no wonders, as is what they call them, you know, the superheroes of the the universe, you know, all the wonders were gone, you know, and that's how, you know, Power Girl and Huntress got ported over to, you know, the main New 52 universe, um, so you, you had that kind of ongoing, you know, storyline where they're slowly building this team of the, you know, kind of the, what you'd think of as an atypical justice society with, you know, Green Lantern and Hawkgirl and Flash and Dr. Fate and all these characters, the Adam. Um, and, and then there's, you know, a lot of different other characters in the background. 
So uh, Earth 2 Now, instead of being written by James Robinson, is written by Tom Taylor. Um, and so the, the direction of the story um, changed quite a bit. Um, it seems to, again, sort of be focusing on more main DC characters, I guess you might say. There's a lot more characters from the Superman universe and Batman universe involved. And, you know, I, that could be horribly coincidental, or maybe it's just because those characters sell better. You know, I don't I don't know what the, the reasoning is or, or whatever. I mean, I hope that doesn't mean all the characters from the previous series are completely abandoned, but there was like a big giant fight, and a lot of them got messed up. And so we haven't seen too many of those characters um, since Superman came back and is kind of like enthralled by Apocalypse and basically fucked everybody's shit up. Um, and so you've got basically an evil version of Kal-El running around who's, you know, uh, very similar to the Superman in uh, maybe the John Byrne run that's corrupted by Darkseid or that Elseworlds story, the Darkseid. You know, he's kind of got his own little apocalyptian outfit and stuff. There had been a new Batman running around, and this is basically kind of what I guess I wanted to talk about mainly. I mean, there's other Superman characters, like Jimmy Olsen is released from this prison, and he's kind of like this, uh, he's got this photo-accurate memory type thing going on. Um, he, he He's kind of like, he was locked up because he was so dangerous because he knew all this information or something like that. And Lois Lane gets, uh, of that universe, um, I guess gets put into the body of a red tornado android. So now she's kind of like a superhero too. And, um, and then you've got sort of some of these side miscellaneous characters, um, who have been in the background as part of the world army. Um, like the, the chick who was judo master, or, um, I guess everybody thought it was, thought it was, uh, Connor Hawk, but I guess it's more kind of like, I don't know. It's weird. It looked like Roy Harper, like a red arrow was in the world army, but they're now calling him Connor Hawk. So yeah. there's that, you know, there's, there, there's like all these different characters, but the, the Batman that basically they're, they're all kind of hanging out and chilling at the bat cave right now while Superman's off on a rampage, like cutting off the, uh, Adam's arm and beating the shit out of all these, um, people trying to uh, escape. Like it reminds me of that scene in that, a Roland Emmerich movie where they're all trying to the one with the John Cusack the day what is it the I don't know the, the one of these stupid Roland Emmerich movies yeah probably where they all try to get on the boat and shit and they're all like falling off and stuff um there, there's like this scene where they're all getting on this space arc and um I don't know. Again, it's some commentary on the evil one percenters because they're all getting on the spaceboat and ready to abandon the rest of the world to uh, Superman and Apocalypse. But little do they know, Superman's like, oh, it's cool. I remember when I got launched off in a rocket, but it's not going to happen the same way. And I guess he basically, like, rips open the space arc and all these guys, like, fall out of it. And it's supposed to be this clever joke because they're like, and the 1% trickle down, you know, like, supposed to, I don't know if you're supposed to be happy about that or what. But anyway, it's still kind of grim. Um, but anyway, uh, there's all this kind of stuff uh, going on in the comic. Um, but basically they have this new Batman, and I guess part of that is a mystery, like, because it can't be Bruce Wayne because he died, right, uh, along with, you know, Kal-El and Wonder Woman and everything. There's also uh, uh, an Aqua Woman, who I guess is like the Emperor of the Atlanteans and stuff like that. So they're kind of hearkening back to more of a, I'd say, you know, more of an Earth-1 feel than a 
than an Earth 2 feel, I guess. I don't know if that I'm explaining that correctly, but, you know, more of kind of the original, like a, a more of a Justice League feel than a Justice Society feel, I guess. They finally revealed who the uh, new Batman was, and I guess a lot of people were suspecting that it was Terry Sloan, who was the original Mr. Terrific, like maybe he was the new Batman, and I think maybe that would have rang hollow to some people. Um, what it ended up being, which I guess should have been really obvious, and again, like we said, there, this show is going to have spoilers, but um, it turns out it's Thomas Wayne. And so it's kind of very similar to uh, the setup they did in the Flashpoint miniseries, where Thomas Wayne kind of is Batman instead of Bruce Wayne. Um, but yeah, it was it was such a strange. It was it was it was more of a straightforward version of Batman R.I.P. It seemed like like you know how they kind of <laughs> yeah. insinuated like Thomas and Martha did all this Caligula bullshit in the background <laughs> with the black glove, and you were supposed to sort of. You know, basically, it was supposed to turn everything, spin everything on its head and stuff. Well, this was a much more straightforward version of that, where it's like Thomas and Martha did hang out with gangsters and did, like, shoot up and do all this kind of weird, like, you know, swinger-swapping nonsense and all this kind of stuff. And then that sort of, you know, in a weird roundabout way explains why... Thomas Wayne isn't dead and he's still like sort of physically fit and, and able to do this Batman gig. But in some sense, it kind of also legitimizes that character for me. Like, I think like I was looking at like some of the action figures and I was like, Oh, earth Two, sweet. I like all these guys. Like I'm going to buy these except for that Batman. Cause I don't know who the fuck he is. But after I read that annual, I was like, sweet, he's pretty cool. I'm going to buy that Batman now. You know, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sucker, but I was like, I, I sort of enjoyed, you know, the explanation of the story and, and who he was. And I felt like it sort of legitimized him to me in some way. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is going to be neat. We got Lois Lane and Thomas Wayne and, you know, uh, you know, there's uh, th this other Kryptonian that they're going to, you know, hopefully, you know, pit against Superman and, you know. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm basically still interested in the storyline, but I was curious what, you know, what Justin's take was on um on the new Batman cuz and and even the new direction cuz I know he's been reading that um comic as well. Um yeah, I, I like that annual. I didn't have a problem with the reveal at all. Like I I was in the that group of people who thought it would be Terry Sloan and I like I I really didn't want him to be Terry Sloan. I want Terry Sloan to be, you know, Mr. Terrific. Um but it it it's kind of like I was telling the guys on our Flashpoint show. It seems like DC had been playing around with this idea of taking, you know, Thomas Wayne and like making him like evil or like making him Batman because you know he he was Batman in that Flashpoint uh, special. You know, all those right. special miniseries and stuff. I mean, I like, guess I guess you could even argue it goes as far back to those old school Batman stories where. You know, Dr. Wayne had a Batman suit he dressed yeah. in, you know, and it was like some kind of repressed memory. And Bruce was like, oh, yeah, I've got this this old Thomas Wayne Batman outfit in the glass case and everything. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. And I, I thought it was really uh, a really good annual and a good story. But, you know, the change in direction, like, I, I don't have a problem with it. The only problem I have is, like, there's too many characters now. Yeah. That core group of characters like uh, Green Lantern, Hot Girl, Adam, 
Yeah, it seems like they were they were poochied for the time being or, or put on the bleachers or something. They've just been kind of like pushed aside for a while. And while I'm interested in Lois Lane as Red Tornado and Aquawoman and what they're going to do with this new Kryptonium, I'm like, well, where where's Green Lantern? Like, what's where's he at? Like, what's he doing? Is he like all beat up? Is he dead? Like, what's going on? What are they going to do with Doctor Fate? Like, he's crazy. Now. Yeah, he's he's all zonked out and stuff. Uh, yeah, so you know, and you've got like Red Arrow, and you know what happened to uh, uh, Commander Steel? Like he went into one of those apocalypse pits, and he was like the red the Red Lantern is coming apparently, and that's just been kind of like I don't know if that's been forgot about or that they, they are going to address that later on. So because I'm like, well, what would an Earth Two Red Lantern be like? What? Yeah. Yeah. What's that? What's that going to be? I, maybe we'll find out. Like I hope we do. I hope they manage these characters better. I mean, we've even had like Mister Miracle and Big Barda. Like they were in Gotham, like fighting mutants, and we've only seen them like maybe three or four times. And one of those times was like very briefly. I'm like, well, what are they going to do with those characters? Like I, I would be interested in more adventures with those guys. But like, I mean, the they have to do something about this giant cast of characters like it, it's I'm sure it's difficult to juggle them all and be like okay Mr. Miracle's here and Aquaman's over here doing this and Green Lantern's over here he's all messed up but like I they really need to like hopefully when this evil Superman arc ends they'll be able to better manage all of these characters and uh, yeah yeah um, well I mean it seems like everything's in chaos right now yeah. so uh, I mean hopefully like you're saying by the time they sort of resolve whatever's going on in that situation. You know, maybe maybe if they get away from the apocalypse stuff, then they can go back to focusing on, you know, the uh, the previous cast of characters. Or, you know, like I said, you never know. It might be a marketing thing. I mean, maybe the sales weren't, you know, what, what they were hoping for, and they're trying to, like, you know, they put a new writer on the book, and also he seems to be shaking stuff up. So it could be, hey, you got six months to make this... Uh, make this book sell, you know, more than it was before, you know, maybe that's why he's pulling out all the stops being like, Hey kids, I got Batman. I got an evil Superman. Like come read this book, please. You know? So I I would kind of hope that like after this, they would fight villains who have more of a, you know, justice society or, you know, all-star squad, like Phil, Megaton or something like, I would like to see that or like, I don't know, like, I, I guess I guess what I want is like more traditional justice society bad guys, but I guess that maybe that's not quite what they want to do with this since it's it's not just a society, it's Earth too. So maybe yeah, maybe I'm yeah. one of those grumpy old guys who's like, Well I want this and like, Well you're not gonna get this, but we'll give you a version of this kind of sorta. Yeah, I, I feel like even if you got what you wanted, like even if you got a per degaton appearance on Earth two, you know, it, it probably wouldn't be the per degaton you were expecting. You know, it, it might be like something completely like you, he's a you lizard open up from outer space. Yeah, like, yeah. You open up the page and you're like, that's per degaton. Okay, <laughs> you know, like I, I I could see that happening too. So. Damn you for making me do this, Reggie. This was you, not me. You did this, dog. Reggie. This was you, not me, not me. Anyway, um, 
So I, I guess uh, we'll, we'll kind of put a cap in the, the comic book free-for-all. Um, you know, if you have been listening along and, and you weren't spoiled by anything or you just didn't care about the spoilers, um, you know, we hope maybe you were interested in some of the stuff we were talking about and that you want to check it out. Um, since this is more uh, going to be a more current show, um, we thought it would be appropriate to uh, give a shout out and read some of the various feedback we've been getting on some recent episodes. Um, one of the things we got, um, which you know I was shocked by, because it came by the way of Google Plus. Um, see, I don't I don't check out Google Plus because they don't like our profile because I made up one as like the fan holes profile, but I guess it violates their policy because fan holes is not a real person or something. <laughs> so it's like, that's why I don't go on Google plus. We're that much real. Anymore. We exist. Yeah, we're real. The hell we're, you we're, say. We're totally real. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we do have, I mean, I guess technically we're on Google plus, I guess, but, uh, you know, definitely Justin is on Google plus and I guess, uh, is, is this a buddy of yours, Jonathan Williams, or is just yes, somebody? No, no, okay. Okay. So, so, uh, Justin's pal, Jonathan Williams, uh, you know, uh, I guess sort of responded to uh, our recent, uh, canceled cartoon cavalcade, um, podcast. So I'll just read out what he wrote and, um, and then we'll we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, so uh, he wrote um, to us, a friend and I listened to the um, hashtag fanholes. We've been hashtagged. I don't ask anybody to do it, but that's pretty cool. The hashtag fanholes podcast about canceled cartoons. He is a huge G.I. Joe fanatic. At some point, someone in the cast, <clears throat> Tony, um, someone mentioned that G.I. Joe Renegade's figure line didn't have any identifying labels or artwork signaling that they were from the show. Now, I couldn't care less if that person is right or wrong, but he is sitting, oh, his friend is sitting right here beside me, practically forcing me to inform you under the assumption that you will inform the person responsible for this supposed insult to his cherished love, G.I. Joe, that only three of the toys didn't have the Renegade logo as evident in the photo he found below. So we've got all this, you know, photo evidence of everything. Uh, before I finish, I, I just like to say, like, it, I, I wasn't going to toy stores at that time, but um, what was funny was I think I was listening to the show when we finally released it, and I was going to toy stores by that point, and I passed the aisle, and it was like, oh, there are Renegades toys or whatever, and I was like, whoops, oh well. You know, like, <laughs> that, that was kind of my thing about it. But, um... Uh, anyway, he says, uh, frankly, I don't give two shits about this, but as I said, he's a stickler for the facts when it comes to the Joes. And then he says, uh, Jesus, he also wants you guys to know that the show was never formally canceled. It was put on hiatus. Well, yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of shows that were put on hiatus, but um, I think the only one I can think of that magically came out of the hiatus was um, was Teen Tony. So I can't think of too many shows that were put on hiatus that did not ultimately, yeah. you know, uh, fall to the the nether or what have you. I but mean, um, Tron Uprising is still on hiatus. Like, right, right. So, so I, I, I mean, hiatus is never good. I mean, basically what that means is all the people involved are not at that studio working on it anymore. They go off to do other projects. So even if it comes off of hiatus – you may not even have that same show anymore because all those people may have moved on to other things, you know, even if they decide like, oh, we're, you know, another G.I. Joe movie's coming out, so bring back a second season of Renegades. Like, it's highly doubtful 
by this point, you'd be able to get all the people involved. But anyway, um, it was put on hiatus due to the untimely, yep, he insisted I put the word untimely, nah, that show sucks, uh, death of the showrunner. Uh, I guess the showrunner died, and that the network dragged ass for far too long and have just decided to shelve it until Hasbro gives them the go-ahead or some such shit. He's confusing me now, and he's getting on my nerves. So in conclusion, blah, 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 and so forth and so on. And then he says, uh, laugh out loud. Now he says he wants a public apology to all Joe fans. Shit, I think he's serious. Uh, I guess. Uh, that's fine with me. Uh, <laughs> on behalf of Tony, uh, we apologize to all G.I. Joe fans because we didn't know that there were actual G.I. Joe toys that said G.I. Joe Renegades. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to apologize because I think the show was crap, though. <laughs> you know, but, oh, yeah. Just got another angry email, I think, in the future for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, um, you know, we, we appreciate the uh, response. We're happy to see that... Um, you know, folks are, are listening to the podcast, even if they're angry about it. You know, we figure, you know, that's, you know, you're obviously not going to agree with everything that, that we say because we're all individuals and we have, uh, you know, our own opinions and likes and stuff like that. Um, and then it's also nice to see Misty Caps down there also commenting in because she always uh, likes our stuff on Facebook and stuff like that. And she seems to also be uh, a member of the Google Plus community as well. So that was cool, and it was good to hear from uh, Jonathan Williams. So thanks for that uh, post on Google+. Plus. Um, and then uh, the other email that we received at the FanHole's Gmail address uh, was from our good buddy, our number one fan, Tom Spielman. Yo, Tom. Um, so Tom says, uh, hey, guys, long time no right. Just thought I'd stop by and say you guys have been doing some absolutely stellar episodes lately, and I've been loving the hell out of the spinoff shows, especially Mobile Suit Mondays. Keep that going. Uh, we're totally keeping it going. Um, so we're, we're, we're recording all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, we're glad you like that stuff. Thanks. Uh, he says, also, that iTunes review from a B. Henson you read a while back. Surprise! That was me. Why is that my iTunes username? That's a story for another time. Um, also, I was really happy you guys talked about Tiger and Bunny in episode 89. I was introduced to that anime last year and love it so, so much. I even bought a ticket to an upcoming screening of a new movie set after the series, Tiger and Bunny the Rising in a theater two hours away from me. You know what's interesting? I think I saw that on your Facebook page, Tom. So it looked like you had a lot of fun. So that's pretty cool. Um, if making you spend your money for a special event isn't the hallmark of a good show, I don't know what is. Keep up the good work from Tom Spielman. So thanks, Tom. Uh, we're happy you're enjoying uh, the side shows, um, the spinoff shows, that kind of stuff. And, um, and thanks for all the um, compliments and praise. All right, so I guess uh, we should do the regularly scheduled thing, which we haven't done, it feels like, in a long time, which is uh, what is awesome in your world this week. I'm going to start it off with Mike. I don't know if I'm putting him on the spot, if he's had a chance to think about this, because I don't know if I've thought about it yet. But um, what is awesome in your world this week, Mike? Look over my desk and what do you call I'm like, oh, that pen is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it doesn't work, does it? No. I got a new video game, uh, Gundam Extreme Versus Full Boost, which is the sequel to Extreme Versus, which me and Derek had a little sidecast on. 
you know, it's basically the same thing. Like, it's got 20 more, like, playable characters and stuff, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know me, I love fighting games, and I like Gundam, so it, it all works out in the end, pretty much. Cool. Um, when you fight as Camille, does he scream out that he's a man? <laughs> I assume so. It's all in Japanese, so, you know. Mano! <laughs> there's, there's only certain things I recognize, like Zigzion and all that. Yeah, it, it's pretty funny. There's funny stuff. Like, I, like I think I mentioned, like, um, like there's a, you fight, like, Stella in the Destroy Gundam, and, like, Shin, like, my partner was, like, the impulse with Shin, and he killed her. And, like, Stella's screaming, and Shin's, like, going, ah, poor me, like, poor Stella. And I was, like, Gato and the, the Philosales, and, like, he just yells, Zigzion in the end. <laughs> so, so it was pretty funny. But. Does, uh, does Set, Setsuna say, uh, Oriwa Gundam da? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, eventually. Great. And, like, my favorite thing is, like, when Setsuna loses, he says, like, there is no god in this world. Like, he says something kami-sama, something blah, blah, blah. Or, or when any of the wingsuits lose, they self-destruct. So. <laughs> it's great. Sweet. All right, I'll go next. Um, I recently um, dipped my toe in the DC Collectibles line universe because of that long running it feels like it's been running forever forever evil series um they're releasing the entire crime syndicate over at uh, the dc collectibles and uh, a lot of people were anticipating this because it seems like for you know a long time dc collectibles had you know fairly articulated you know six six point seven five inch figures um but they weren't quite as articulated as something like, say, Marvel Legends or even the DC Universe Classics. Um, but these figures are, you know, they're pretty extremely articulated, so everybody was looking forward to them. I wasn't sure if I was going to pick them up or not, but since everybody was talking about them, I went ahead and went into my local comic shop. Um, nice and easy, you know, they were there. I bought them. You know, it wasn't like you had to hunt and traipse for, you know, figures like uh, Black Widow or whatever. It was just there on the rack, and you could grab it. Um, overall, I mean, I, I you know, I'm going to put it as my awesome thing of the week. I mean, they're, they're really nice-looking figures. The articulation is great, um, you know, compared to, you know, previous lines of, of DC Direct figures, but also even compared to, you know, Marvel Legends-type stuff. I mean, it's it's really awesome. Um you know the only the only thing I would say is some of it it has um as far as like the pain applications like if you articulate like certain joints like the shoulder joints and the wrists they they kind of come out of the box like you wouldn't know that the paint is messed up because you don't see it until you start articulating it and it sort of flakes off so you know if you have like say an owl man and he's got a black glove. Well, you might start articulating his wrists, and then you'll have a black glove with like a little white spot on it or something. But I mean, other than that, I mean, it was it was a pretty cool, you know, Owl Man and Johnny Quick were the the figures that came out, and uh, those are both cool figures. And then Johnny Quick comes with like this little kind of pack in of uh, Atomica, who was the sort of traitor for the Justice League, where she, you know, was going to be the new female Adam, but it turned out she was also from the crime syndicate and was the, you know, the big, the big spy in the Justice League. So anyway, that that's my awesome thing of the week. 
Um, what about you, Justin? What was your awesome thing this week? Um, I have two things, and both of them are books because books are awesome. Um, the first one is a, a series of short stories. It's a book called Strange Wine by Harlan Ellison, and I really enjoyed it. There's various different uh, short stories in here, and some of them are horror, and some of them are science fiction, and some of them are just kind of weird. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I think I think the one I liked best is uh, uh, Harlan has this uh, pseudonym called Cordwainer Bird, and he uses it anytime he's like unhappy with the script, like he thinks it's been messed with unjustly by you know uh, editors or someone in Hollywood. And one of the stories is this pseudonym like kind of comes to life and has adventures and. Uh, he's like punching people in the face, and he like his his uncle is the shadow who is now like kind of senile, and he's like always telling him like weird stuff. It doesn't make sense, but it it was pretty good. Um, my second book is called My Dark Places by James Elroy, and you may may be somewhat aware of him because he wrote you know books like The Black Dahlia, which was turned into a film, and. Uh, L.A. Confidential, which was also turned into a film, but this is more of a autobiographical book because his mother was killed when he was very young, and it kind of set him on this, you know, dark path to go to you know, dark places. Like he talks about, you know, his heavy drug use and being basically being homeless for a very long time and just struggling with life and relationships and women and the death of his mother looming over him. So it's it's very deep and very dark. It's very depressing but i i really enjoyed it i really like this book sweet sounds good um so we've got two books from justin we've got some dc collectibles figures from myself and then we've got the extreme versus boost game from mike so we hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast again like these other gentlemen who left us feedback um you can find us on google plus um you can find us on uh, Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, um, you can send us angry, angry emails if we spoiled something for you and you didn't bother to listen to the spoiler warnings and you're mad, you can send us angry emails at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are now on Stitcher Radio, so we've got those up. Um, you know, obviously you can get the regular direct downloads from the blog spot, uh, fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. So until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike. Justin. Peace. I'm going to rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield. I just couldn't care if they bring back Craven. Brian's not here to say peace. I'm going to sell my steel to Hitler. <laughs> what? That makes total sense. That makes logical. total sense. You follow, you follow why I did that, right? I, I totally follow it. I follow the logic. Good. Okay.
I'm like Mr. Knight. I go and look at the crime scene, and I'm like, this is why he sold his steel to hit. It's like there, there was a dude. How do you know it's a dude? Uh, you know, the way he walked and stuff, and the, the male underwear and stuff on the floor over there, and it's obvious. 